Welcome to the Healthcare Design Podcast, a production of Troy Cobus Design in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Mike Bennett. Today, I'm talking with Trevor Atwell about the current state of life science and commercial real estate in the greater Boston and New York City markets and how things may be changing over the next few years. Enjoy. I'm joined by uh, my colleague, Trevor Atwell, who is uh, going to be talking a little bit about the life science uh, real estate market and uh, and how we are gauging some of the opportunities and, and what it looks like. So uh, Trevor, thanks for joining us today. Do you want to give a quick introduction to yourself? My pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Um, sure. Uh, I worked with, uh, I started working with Rick 20 years ago, uh, right out of college. Um, he was a real mentor to me uh, in you know, learning how to be an architect, learning about life science. Um, I then moved to New York City for graduate school and then stayed there for 20 years. And within that period, I worked with uh, a very sort of well-known architect, Rafael Vignoli, who also had uh, life science experience and at a certain point pivoted to um, real estate development and design as well. So the, the kind of the hybrid combination of uh, architecture uh, and design. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, so you know what we're going to be talking about today is is what the life science real estate industry looks like, uh, how it's arranged, and you know some specific things that we're looking at. You know, for those who are not fully aware, the life science uh, I'll call it industry or market itself is focusing on population centers for how it, where it's locating its research labs and where a lot of companies are locating their home offices. Uh, could you talk a little bit to you know, why, why that is and, and what's driving that? Yeah, I mean, really they, the, the life science industries are moving towards population centers because of talent, right? And so the, the focus in, in Cambridge in particular, but Boston Cambridge in general, was because there was real talent in that, uh, you know, coming out of the universities and the medical schools uh, up here. And that, that really is what drove the, the concentration up in, in Boston and Cambridge. Um, and now you're seeing that expanding because the, the space here is getting filled up that, you know, you're, you're looking to other places where, where there's real talent because A, the space in Boston and Cambridge is getting filled up and B, the talent is running out. Um, and so, you know, uh, companies like the larger companies, Sanofi, Pfizer, et cetera, are looking to, to places like Manhattan and places like Chicago. Obviously, San Francisco is huge as well because there's, there's real talent there and it's a destination for talent, right? It's where people want to live. If you're a young person who's a researcher, you'd rather not live in Montclair, New Jersey, right? You'd rather... You'd rather be in a in a population center. No offense to Montclair, New Jersey. <laughs> right. No offense. Um, so you know, w- what does it look like specifically in the Boston Cambridge market? You know, the amount of square foot for for commercial office typically, or versus the life science lab space. So, to high level, uh, the Boston commercial office market 
is I'm going to use very round numbers here, right? Is is 100 million square feet of, of office space in Boston and Cambridge. Um, of that, again, high high level, about 20 to 25 million square feet is life science, right? And it's it's significantly concentrated in Kendall and Central Square, East Cambridge, um, and. If you look at Manhattan as a contrast, you know, that's 500 million square feet of office space uh, and it's grown 50 million square feet in the last, you know, 15 years. Um, And of that, only a million square feet is life science. So where, you know, Boston and Cambridge has really um, tightened up and, and created this marketplace for life science office space, life science space. And, and is running out of area to, to, to do it, right? So in, in, in East Cambridge in particular, <clears throat> companies just can't fit anymore. They can't find much more space. There's no more space to develop. So there's new like pockets around Boston uh, and Cambridge and Somerville that are, that are popping up as potential future clusters. What, <clears throat> what a key thing to understand is the, these life science companies like to be in clusters. Right. And so that's why Kendall Square became such a huge thing, because you got all these companies around one another. There's there, there's competition. Right. And there's, uh, you know, proprietary information. So they're they're very careful about that. But they like the, the, the researchers and and the talent to interact and interface and and they move around. Right. And so. You know, talent from Sanofi goes to um, goes to Pfizer, goes to uh, you know, up and coming like Blue Rock or whatever. Um, and actually, we, we were at a conference, Rick and I, uh, about a year ago, where um, somebody was up there. He, he was an owner of a of an upstart new technology company, life science technology company. He said. You know, we had just hired somebody who had changed jobs uh, four times in the last year without changing their parking spot. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's that's pretty uh, that's pretty clustered. It's pretty clustered, but so people are looking for new clusters, right? So you know, the 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 new one that you know people are thinking about is the Seaport District, right? Where. Um, you've got Foundation Medicine moving in there. Alexandria bought a big site there. Uh, Related bought a big site, and they're planning to do life science. So that's an opportunity. I you, you can't see it because I closed my shades because it's too bright behind me. But I live in Assembly Square, which is a new transit-oriented uh, real estate you know community. Um, it's mostly residential and retail right now. But um, Biomed bought a site that has the potential to do uh, over a million square feet of, of life, science, life science space. And we're working with a, uh, a client that's really interesting. It's a sustainability-focused client that has been planning a, a commercial building in Assembly Square that they're thinking of potentially uh, you know, transforming it into life science. So we're trying to help them with that. So you're seeing new new pockets of potential clusters. There's Union Square in Somerville. There's Waltham. There's there's a bunch of these, right? Yeah, and I, it seems like you know the same kind of shift uh, from uh, commercial real estate to lab real estate that we're seeing in Boston is is beginning to trend in, in New York City. Um, are there specific uh, developments, you know, clusters that are developing at the moment there that that you're seeing? 
We are. And to, to get to your one of the earlier questions that you and I had offline, why hasn't it happened in New York City previously, right? Um, you know, the, the, the differential in percentage of life science to commercial real estate in Boston versus the percentage to, to uh, commercial in, in New York is vastly different. The reality is that historically, uh, you know, highest and best use in, in, in Manhattan was either commercial office, mostly residential, um, and, and potentially hotel. Uh, and so people just didn't, didn't look at it that way, right? You know, the, 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 the cost of land was too high to, to start to think about this. Now, what people in New York have been figuring out, and it's also people are just lazy, right? It's just like, oh, well, I've got a site, it's gonna cost me a thousand bucks a square foot to buy it for the dirt. You know, I'm just going to put a condo there and I'm going to sell it for 3000 bucks a foot, right? And so people are starting to really look at um, value add to real estate in New York City that's different. And what you're seeing is that the, the, the types of rents that you can get from a life science tenant are disproportionately higher to uh, a commercial office tenant compared to the additional costs that you need to spend on a, uh, a life science building, right? So you need, you need to spend more to build a life science building, right? You need to have <clears throat> higher HVAC capacity, greater power, you know, floor to floor heights important, all that sort of stuff. So it costs more to fit it out and to build it. But, you know, what we're seeing in, in, in Boston are people getting $95 triple net rents compared to 75, 60 to $75 triple net rents for, for office space. So that's now kind of a shifting paradigm where people are starting to understand that in New York City. Sure. And so I, you know, I think one of the components of these, um, I think it's probably helpful to define who these types of tenants are. I think it's easy to see Santa Fe and Pfizer as these like large, well-known uh, biotech companies. But I think, um, an area of interest that's evolving is what the like incubator type um, spaces are, you know, specific areas for, for real estate that uh, help develop new companies as they start to develop new drugs or new treatments, uh, things like that, that help the healthcare industry. Can you talk a little bit about how um, we're looking at real estate in that kind of way? Well, absolutely. And, and also the institutions that have a, a commercial component to them, right? So, <clears throat> Groups like Lab Central, which is a, an incubator in Cambridge that uh, Rick designed the original uh, 700 main building for, for Matemco back in the 90s, and, and Lab Central is in there today. They, they are incubating a number of these smaller companies that are spinning out. So what we will be targeting in, in one of our properties, one of our projects, are the kind of next generation companies that are that are coming out that are developing really unique and and unusual technologies and 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 drugs that that are not yet at the level of where they're going to be acquired by Pfizer, but they need to they need ten to fifteen thousand square feet, right? A great um, example of it in New York that has has grown up and and is one of the great early success stories is a company called Hybercell. So um, I won't talk about their, uh, their drug technologies, but they, um, they moved into uh, a building that Taconic developed and 
uh, you know, Taconic built out uh, a full floor, uh, half a floor for 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 somebody um, of lab space, and then Hypercell just came in and, and plugged and play what they what they really needed because they were on their second round of funding was they needed they needed space that they could walk into, right? So one of the things that we're hearing from the brokerage teams are that you, what they these younger companies are they're vc funded they you know they have capital they've they've developed their technology they're in an incubator they have to leave you have to leave these incubator spaces after 18 months or two years and they just need space to go into and that doesn't exist right now in new york city so that's what people are looking for in boston and in new york and and these other population centers because the speed to market is so important that you really have to you have to hit that and you know being able to step into uh, to real estate space is, is is critical. Yeah, I've I've heard of a few examples of this kind of sort of uh, next step incubator spaces that are not part of a, an incubator as in terms of like a business arrangement, but they're you know ready made um, life science spaces like you said that have all of the equipment installed and ready to go and can bring a, a second stage group that has, they've moved on from their core group of 5, 10, 20 employees. They've got, um, a, they've got their drugs and trials and things like that, but they need to scale up to two, 300 people and don't want to wait the year it takes to find a, a, a site, fit it out, put in the right equipment. And so they can easily move to these kind of mid-level um, incubator spaces, so to speak. Well, and, and a, key, a key aspect on the design side of that is to design really flexible fit out space that people can pop you know fit into right because what we're seeing is that there's a a dynamic mix of wet and dry space and so being able to have the full capability and capacity for a wet lab space that you know in the event that they're doing more computational stuff you could convert that to a dry lab. So that flexibility is really key. We're, we're talking with a really interesting group out of California that um, they build everything on spec. And most of their stuff they've, they've done in San Diego and San Francisco. Um, and the flexibility, the lab capability uh, is the key component there. Um, and they build it and they say, you're going to come in. We'll give you a little bit of you know, tenant improvement capital to... Uh, to, to you know modify it to your to what maybe you need but you're you're coming into our space and you know if if it doesn't work out we're taking it back you know that sort of thing yeah um, so you know what are some of the specific interventions or things that we're looking at doing you know, either project wise or conceptually in the in the New York market so there's a couple which are really interesting um, and and you know, New York has um, really embraced and encouraged new development. There has not been a lot, right? So the most uh, significant life science development right now is uh, the Alexandria Center, which of the 1 million square feet of Manhattan, um, that's about 750,000 square feet, and they're planning another tower. Um, and that was a, a deal that they did with the city um, on, on the land. So the land is essentially free. Um, the, the city then saw this trend and the importance of um, identifying the fact that there are great institutions like NYU, like Mount Sinai, like Rockefeller University, Columbia. Um, and so the talent is there 
they need to really encourage and um, emphasize the opportunity for commercial life science. So the Economic Development Corporation, which is New York State City, um, the EDC, uh, created what's called the LifeSci uh, incentives, partnerships to give you know tax benefits for commercial companies coming in to develop uh, life science. So that has really sparked it. And so we, um, through a relationship of Rick and mine, um, identified a, an opportunity to convert a 100-year-old parking garage in Midtown South um, in a location that wouldn't be suitable for residential exactly, even though it's in a residential zone. Um, it, 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 it's really that the type of building is much more suitable for a commercial building. And it's not an ideal office location, but it's right in between. It's in this emerging cluster within Manhattan, which is between the Alexandria Center and NYU, which is all the way on the east side, and really greater population transit, which is on you know Park Avenue, Lexington. So um, we're working on that right now. It's also very close to a new project uh, a couple blocks away that um, is from the Deerfield organization. And Deerfield is a, a VC firm that um, you know, invests in life science companies. They bought a building called 345 Park Avenue South. Um, and that's about a 400,000 square foot building that they're converting to uh, all life science with half of it going to be populated by their companies. And then they're going spec on the rest of it. So we've identified these kind of this little mini cluster within Manhattan that we think is a real opportunity for, for life science. And the, the ability to convert an existing structure is, is, is exciting. Yeah, I, th I think um, when you first uh, shared with me about what the, the ins and outs of this parking garage project are, it seems uh, really, you know, really interesting to, to take an old building for a different purpose and, and reuse it in a new way. Um, are, are there specific challenges that you've had in how to either fit out the floor, modify the building, or even how you've approached with the city, you know, getting things um, uh, approved permit-wise? Well, the city stuff was, was really pretty exciting. We worked closely with the owner of the property, who's going to be a, a partner in, in the project. Um, you know, we're, it's going to be a ground lease. Um, and because the building is overbuilt per zoning and it's a non-conforming use, we were able to get um, approvals through a ZRD-1, which is a zoning restrictive declaration, to get approval for what we'd like to do which is a lab building, um, and do it only through DOB. So we didn't have to go through, um, you know, the other potential zoning changes, uh, which, is, which is great. Um, in terms of the building itself, it's a 100-year-old building, right, with, with car elevators, right? So we need to put new cores in. We need to put new mechanical systems in. And we've, we've built up a team sort of on, on spec, um, you know, as, as part of our, our partnership in the project and, and we're really analyzing the project, we were able to get um, a, a scanner, somebody to go down and, and do a full building scan using drones and, and 
tripods and whatever. So we have a point cloud and we have a real understanding of the structure so that we can, you know, needle in our new cores and figure out what we're going to do with, uh, with the MEP. I've got some, some good friends uh, who have been helping out from Siami Construction. They're providing cost estimating uh, work and, and we're really, really pushing that forward. It's, it's been pretty exciting to, to be pushing this project in a time when you know, we're all working remotely and we've really been pushing this in the last two months. So. Yeah, well, that's a, a great transition to, to this next part. I'm thinking that you know, we look at life sciences as life sciences help healthcare issues. You know, they're kind of two sides of a different coin. They, they, um, life science isn't providing care to patients, but they're providing avenues for the healthcare industry to, to solve some of our issues. And, um, a lot of the focus in, you know, in the last two months since this project has been around has been on what current operations will continue to look like through the COVID-19 or on the other side of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, and I'm wondering how you see the life science market um, changing, uh, or, or what it looks like for for new companies to be developing new drugs for emerging viruses and things like that. Well, the drug side of it, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I can talk about the um, the real estate side of it, which um, is is very exciting in terms of. Um, large institutional investors looking to life science real estate as, as a key sector uh, to focus on because, you know, coming out of this, you know, pandemic, um, you know, I have, there are real questions about the viability of institutional investment in commercial office space, definitely in hospitality, which is, you know, was already overbuilt going into it, and 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 residential. So what what when we've been talking with these institutional investors and even family offices and people who control property, is they're looking at alternative real estate sectors that are non real estate market correlated, like life science, because these companies that are that are going into this space, some of them are are you know tenant credit, you know, level, um, but the other ones are, are backed by, um, by VCs and by, uh, you know, investors who, who have the credit to cover it. And that's really going to be a new target market for, for life science real estate. Very cool. Well, are, are there other, any other thoughts you, you, you have to share that could kind of help uh, wrap up our discussion a little bit? I think that's it. I mean, you know, it's an exciting time to be looking at this space and uh, it'll be interesting to see where things go, but all of the indications and all of the uh, conversations that I've been having with close friends and other people in the industry is that, you know, life science is, is really where, where we're heading in terms of real estate for the next few years. And, and you know, it's important. Obviously, um, it's, it's critical to have this kind of... Uh, this kind of research and development going on in population centers so that, uh, you know, we, we can address these, these pandemic issues, right. As they, as they come back or as they come forward in the future. Right. Right. Well, um, I, I appreciate you spending some time with me today and, uh, and I look forward to seeing how some of these uh, predictions play out over the next few years. Thanks a lot, Mike. Great talking to you. Yeah. Talk soon. Talk soon. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to today's conversation on the Healthcare Design Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about life science real estate or how you can convert your current commercial properties to accommodate life science tenants, check out our website at choikobis.design slash life science or click the link below in the show notes. Thank you to my guest, Trevor Atwell, for joining me today. Today's episode was supported by information from Emily Hartman and Tony Mora and produced by Chris Goldthwaite. I'm your host, Mike Bennett. Talk to you soon.